Morning again. If you have your Bibles, we are continuing our study through the book of 2 Timothy. We are in 2 Timothy chapter 2. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 7. If you need a Bible, just raise your hand and we'll get one right to your seat so you can follow along with us. Turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 7 this morning. All right, if you're all turned there, the Apostle Paul begins chapter 2 with these words. He says in verse 1, You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that you, things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. You therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. And also, if anyone competes in athletics, he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. The hardworking farmer must be first to partake of the crops. Consider what I say, and may the Lord give you understanding in all things. The title of my study this morning is Live Strong. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to gather together this morning to... Be in your word and to know, Lord, that your plan is to talk to our hearts today. Your desire is to speak to our hearts today. And so, Lord, we want to receive every word that you have for us this morning. So help us to have receptive ears, alert attention spans, Lord, to to get from you all that you have for us this morning. We also pray, Lord, if there's anyone that has joined us that is yet to come into a saving knowledge of your son, Jesus Christ, we pray that they would have their eyes open and they would see their need for him and they would turn from their sin and turn to you. We thank you for this time this morning. We commit it to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, here the Apostle Paul is penning his last letter to his son in the faith, Timothy, wanting him to stand strong in the midst of opposition. Timothy was a young pastor in the church of Ephesus. He had a tough job. Pastoring can be tough. Like the story about one little boy who after church service told the pastor, when I grow up, I'm going to give you some money. Well, thank you, the pastor replied. But why? Because my daddy says you're one of the poorest preachers we've ever had. (laughs) Maybe you've heard of some of these good news, bad news for pastors. Good news. You baptized seven people today in the river. Bad news. You lost two of them in the swift current. This one, good news. The women's ministry voted to send you a get well card. Bad news. The vote passed by a vote of 31 to 30. Good news. The elder board accepted your job description the way in which you wrote it. Bad news. They were so inspired by it, they also formed a pastor search committee to find someone capable of filling the position. Good news. Church attendance rose dramatically the last three weeks. Bad news. You are on vacation. This isn't about me, okay? This is the funniest thing. Okay. Gosh. I'm not even going to do the last one I have. Maybe you'll, you'll moan in that one. Okay, last one. Good news. Your deacons want to send you to the Holy Land. Bad news. They're waiting until the next war. Okay. Listen, Timothy had a tough job. 
Okay, you guys aren't like that. Timothy had a tough job. He was pastoring this church in Ephesus at a time when persecution throughout the Roman Empire was growing. It was becoming very dangerous to be a Christian, let alone be a minister of the gospel. Here was the Apostle Paul. He's waiting to be executed. On top of that, the threat of persecution, Timothy had to deal with a growing apostasy led by these false teachers that were coming in, perverting their faith. And so we we saw in chapter 1, Paul exhorting Timothy to not be ashamed of the testimony of Christ. He told him in verse 13 of chapter 1, Hold fast the pattern of sound words, which you have heard from me in faith and love, which are in Christ Jesus. Hold fast the pattern for sound words. That word for pattern there refers to an architect's blueprint. Blueprint that, that needs to be followed precisely by the builders in order for it to be built correctly. In the same way, the church is a a definite blueprint, an outline of how we are to follow God's words exactly, uh, God, who's the builder, and we need to follow God's truth, good doctrine from God's word. It's a standard by which teaching is to be tested. We follow God's word, therefore certain things are not open to debate or discussion. God's word says what it means and means what it it says, and we, we leave it at that. So Paul is telling Timothy in chapter 1 to hold fast to that. Guard it no matter what others are saying or what others are doing. In the same way, we have that same call today. Truth is being attacked from all fronts. The devil has made his way into many churches that once stood firm on God's word. And now they've been introduced into all sorts of liberal ideas, sinful ideas. And we're going to address that when we get to chapter 4. But... It was times like that that Timothy, as a pastor, might have been discouraged, maybe overwhelmed with the, with the job that he had to do. He might have been prone to wonder, how am I supposed to stand up against all of that? So Paul gives him the answer in our text this morning in verse 1. Look at verse 1. Paul says to Timothy, You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Now notice what Paul doesn't say. He doesn't say, hey, you can do it. Just hang in there, be strong, pull yourself up by your bootstraps and, and, and get going. He doesn't say that. He says, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. In other words, this is the strength that comes from something outside of yourself. Psalm 121 verse 2 says, my help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. See, we can't do it in and of ourselves. The attacks in our faith today may seem overwhelming. We need outside help. We need the grace of God working in and through our lives. Of all the concepts in the Bible, I think one of the most important ones for you and I to understand and to apply to our daily lives is that of of God and His, His grace in our lives. Because if you don't understand God's grace, you do not understand the gospel. Grace is at the core of the gospel message. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9 tells us, For we are saved, you've been saved through faith, and that, let me get this right, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. We know grace means undeserved, unmerited favor. We get what we don't deserve. One acronym for that is God's riches at Christ's expense. The problem comes when we know we are saved by grace, but then we try to live this Christian life without it. We're saved. Great. Thank you for your grace. But then I go, you know, I got to do this and I got to do that. I got to work at this. And, and we don't rely on God's grace. Listen, we're told in Second Peter 3, verse 18, 
but grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and forever. Amen. To grow in God's grace. We're also told that God sustains us through our trials by his grace. Listen to 2 Corinthians 12, 9. He says, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I would rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. You know, we're, we're told to, to fix our hope completely on the grace that will come to us when Jesus Christ returns. 1 Peter 1.13 Prepare your minds for action and exercise self-control. Put all your hope in the gracious salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. In fact, the very last verse in our Bible, Revelation 22.21, The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Because grace is such a vital concept, it's not surprising that the enemy of our souls works overtime to subvert God's grace by spreading error and confusion all about it, about its true nature. Every false religion promotes salvation either totally by human effort or a mixture of, of, of grace with human works. Yet when we add works to grace, God's grace, we diminish the work of Christ on the cross. Now, that doesn't mean that, that God uh, is soft on sin. It simply means that God has made a provision of it through Christ's death on the cross. That's where God's grace comes from. But here's my point. If you intend to serve the Lord in any capacity, you've got to learn where your strength comes from. If you extract, expect to be, just be strong in yourself, you're going to fall. If you think God owes you something because you deserve it, you're going to fall. But when you get to the point where you realize that you don't deserve anything, that you desperately need God's help, God's grace, then you have a chance. Because there's going to be times in, in ministry, in the Christian life, where we're going to be big, fat failures. We're just going to blow it big time. And you're still going to need strength. That's why we need God's grace. So you say, well, how can I... You and I be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. How was Timothy told to be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus? Well, Paul has an answer for that as well. And it wasn't just for us. He says, look at verse 2. And the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Paul had been teaching and sharing with Timothy. And, and Paul is saying, Timothy, man, you need to share what's come in to your life with others around you. Men who are faithful, men who can take it. And, and In other words, Paul is saying, I'm about to share with you about growing in grace. You're going to need to pass that on to faithful men who can teach others what it means to grow in grace. But guess what? Paul is teaching us as well what it means to grow in grace and not to keep it to ourselves, but to pass it on. Because you hear this morning, you're faithful men, faithful women, that, that these words are being committed to, so we might pass it on to others as well. So, so what does he say? What does he want us to pass on? How are we to stay strong in the grace that God has given to us? Well, Paul uses three examples this morning. And they're going to be our three points. We can stay strong in the grace that God has given to us by being a good soldier, number one, a good athlete, number two, and a good farmer, number three. Three different professions here. But there are similarities between each one. All three deal with submitting to a higher authority. A soldier is under the authority of his superior officer. He takes orders from them. The athlete is under the authority of his athletic trainer. He has to submit to this rigorous training and follow the rules of the competition. And the farmer, 
Well, he's under the authority of the elements. I mean, he has to, you know, the, 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 the weather, you know, going on there, he has to submit himself to the seasons. So all three deal with a, uh, with a higher authority. All three involve discipline, tedious training, and hard work. All three have their own difficulties and hardships, and yet all three offer some sort of reward. Let's look at the first one, our first point, a soldier. Look at verses 3 and 4. Paul writes, You, therefore, must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ, no one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. Listen, I'm sure the greatest day of your life was when you gave your life to Jesus Christ. When he came into your heart, he forgave you of all your sin. It was that day that your eternal destiny was literally changed. It was that day that you passed from darkness to light, the day you found new purpose and new meaning. The Bible says that there is rejoicing in heaven over one sinner that repents. But there's another dynamic that we need to know about, another side to what happened to you on that, that wonderful day. It was also the day that a very real spiritual bega- uh, battle began to take place. Maybe you realized it. Suddenly you were being tempted like never before. Things that you would never think twice about doing. All of a sudden it became this huge conflict in your life between doing what is good and doing what was evil. You see, the day that you committed your life to Jesus Christ, you joined God's army. And your conversion has made your heart a battlefield. And like it or not, we're all in this battle. And essentially it's a battle between good and evil, right and wrong, righteousness and unrighteousness. In fact, it's a battle between God and Satan. But you've got to choose what side you're going to be on. Elijah said so many years ago to the people up there on Mount Carmel, Choose you this day whom you will serve. If it's the Lord, then follow him. You know, today we live in such times where a half-hearted committed, uh, commitment to Christ is not going to cut it. But I see so many people today, they're trying to live in two worlds. They want enough Christianity to get them to heaven, but they still want to live like hell for all practical purposes. It's the most miserable existence of all. Choose this day who you will serve. If you're going to be a Christian, be a sold-out one. Be a committed one. I mean, that's what it means to be a soldier. Man, you're sold out. You're committed. We're all soldiers in God's army if you've joined his army. You've got to give your life to Christ in order to join his army. But the question remains, are you going to be a good soldier or a bad one? You alone must make that choice. Now, to borrow a phrase from our Marines, God is looking for a few good men, a few good women who are ready to go into that spiritual battle and make a difference. But I want you to notice what Paul says about that. What happens when you first become a soldier? He says, you're going to experience hardship. He says, you therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And when you think about a soldier, especially out in a battle, what do you think about? They've got this nice hotel room overlooking the battlefield and the, the comforts of home and they've got the TV and the, and the nice soft pillow. No. I mean, they, they, I mean, catch the evening news and, and see the dangers and the hardships they are in. I mean, they don't even know where they're going to sleep at night. Or maybe they have to dig a hole to sleep down in the hole. They're, they always have to sleep in shifts. Always alert, always watching out for the attacks of the enemy. It's very difficult. They're not able to eat well, always having to be vigilant, sober. It's a hard thing because war is difficult. It's very strenuous. It can be stressful. And I think people get the idea that ministry is an easy thing as well. It's not. It's a very difficult thing. The Christian life can be a very difficult thing. Challenging. And we need to be alert. We need to be watching out for the attacks of the enemy. Be sober. 
Peter writes in 1 Peter 5, 8, Be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Yeah, Paul is saying, endure those hardships as a good soldier. I think that, that many that, that make you know, a first-time commitment to Christ, and they begin to go through that first boot camp, if you would, so to speak, they have a hard time because they don't want to toughen up. In fact, the first sign of anything difficult, they're ready to bail, throw in the towel. I don't sign up for this. If that's what it means to be a Christian, I'm out of here. And then really, you know, they weren't saved to begin with, I think. But consider this. If you're really going to follow the Lord, man, you're going to be tempted. You're going to face opposition. There's going to be battles. So recognize that we are soldiers in a battle. Embrace yourself for it. By the grace of God, endure, endure the hardship as a good soldier. And listen, let me tell you, there's three things you need to know in any battle. Number one, you need to know who your enemy is. Number two, you need to know what weapons you have at your disposal. And you need, number three, you need to make sure your communication lines are open to your commanding officer. Well, Paul tells us in Ephesians 6.12 that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. That's who our enemy is. That's where our battle takes place. But it also tells us our weapons that we have, they're mighty in 2 Corinthians 10.4. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds. Word of God is our weapon. Prayer is our weapon. But then the most important key in any battle is to keep the lines of the communication open between the soldiers and the commanding officers. And our lines of communication, that's the most important thing. Communication is not just our ability to talk, it's, it's our ability to listen, to get instruction. And we communicate with God. The first part of that communication is listening to Him. Romans ten seventeen. faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. See, God speaks to us through that, that hum vehicle, you know, the hum via the Bible. And He equips us for this Christian life. Now, of course, in order to fully understand God's communication with us, we need to be diligent in memorizing and studying and meditating on His Word. But the key to communication is prayer. Giving in God's Word and praying we're communicating. Listen, we we are living in really critical times today. And I think all of us would agree that the devil is working overtime. He is busy because he knows his days are numbered and he knows that judgment is sure. So he's doing everything he can to wreak as much havoc in our lives, in the nation, in this world, until he faces his judgment. That's why we need to get busy. Because every battle we face counts. Every day is important. Paul writes in Romans 13.11, And do this knowing this time that it is now high time to awake out of our sleep, for now our salvation is nearer than we first believed. Now Paul goes on to say in verse 4, that don't let the, 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 the affairs of this life no one engages in warfare and entangles himself with the affairs of this life. Now think about that for a minute. Imagine a soldier in the midst of a battle. And the battle is going on and, and it's waging. And, and he walks up to his sergeant and says, Hey, Sarge, uh, man, i, I got to leave. i, I got this business thing i got to work on over here and it's going to make me some good money. I'll be back in a little bit. Or, or, or hey, Sarge, uh, uh, you see, i got to leave the battle. i got this date planned for tonight. And, and she's, man, she's, we're going to go to dinner and a movie. And, and I'm not going to be able to, to, to make it to the battle. And what do you think would happen? See, but see, the, the sad thing is many Christians are trying to fight like that today. Yet Paul says, no one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the things in the world. Let me tell you, there's a lot of things that we can get tangled up in. And it can destroy our effectiveness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. 
I mean, the things of the world, the flesh, the devil are always trying to tangle us up, to trip us up, to slow us down. We need to cast off those works of darkness. We need to, to, to be done with a compromising life, be done with trying to live in both worlds. Let us, let us suit up, let's get busy, let's engage, and let us watch what the Lord will do. Because let me tell you this, why, while there is true that there's a devil who's powerful who tries to trip us up, there's also true that our commander-in-chief will lead us ultimately to victory if we stay close to him. Because the Bible says the battle is the Lord's. It also tells us that greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And let me say this, this the cry of victory has already gone out. There on the cross, as Jesus hung there with the nails in his hand and in his feet, and he cried out, it is finished. Those were the cries of victory. Those three words reverberated throughout heaven and hell. I'm sure every demon in hell heard, it is finished. So now we stand in his strength. And we fight with him and for him, working him working through me and marching on, taking ground for the kingdom. Together we fight from victory, not for victory. Now this brings us to our second point. We stay, can stay strong in the grace that God has given to us by being a good soldier. Number one, number two, a good athlete. Look at verse 5. And also, if anyone competes in athletics, he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. Now Paul, I mean, he loved athletics. I mean, he loved it. He, he, he speaks about it all the time, especially running races. 1 Corinthians 9.24 Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize. Run in such a way that you may obtain it. Or Galatians 5, 7. You ran well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? Or, first, or 2 Timothy 4, 7. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. I think if Paul were here today, he would be an ESPN, ESPN2 fan, a Fox Sports fan. I mean, he's made over two dozen references to athletics in his letters. Now, let me tell you about the athletics at that time that Paul wrote this. The Greeks and the Romans, they were, I mean, they were into it. They were great sports fans. They were um, athletes. The Greeks saw athletes as, athletics as a means of personal enrichment. Their thinking was a healthy body meant a healthy mind. Most major Greco-Roman cities had gymnasiums where they would, would practice in, big uh, stadiums where they competed in. In fact, in the ancient sporting events, they were also very religious in that they would include sacrifices to their patron gods, such as Zeus at the Olympic Games. So esteemed were their, their times that, the, that states involved in wars would actually cease fire from their battle to go compete in the games. All right, we're, we're not going to fight anymore. We've got this game. And the soldiers would then come and be the athletes. That's crazy. Now, with that in mind, Paul uses this picture of an athlete and begins to say an athlete has no chance of being rewarded unless he competes according to the rules. So the, the soldier is characterized by hardships, but the athlete is characterized by following the rules. When I was in, I guess they call it middle school, but ninth grade, uh, junior high, um, I decided to go out for track. And I, I wanted to go out for track, not because I was this fabulous runner. I, I wasn't. I was pretty horrible at it. But I thought if I went out for track, I could, you know, the girls would say, oh, look, he's out for track. He's in the sport and they'd come talk to me. Didn't happen. But anyway, um, so, the, so I never ran in any of the races. I'd show up and I'd practice because the coach knew I wasn't fast. But one day he came up to me and said, Humphrey, are we going to race in, in uh, 880 today? That's a twice around the track. And, and I thought, oh, that's great, coach. And, well, I have to, uh, uh, if I don't race you, then we don't get the points that we need and we won't be able to qualify. And so I need the points. And, 
Great, thanks for the confidence. And so, you know, I get there, and I'm ready to run, right? I get on the, I got my shoes on, I get down, I, the gun goes off, and man, I'm in the lead, I'm in first place for the first quarter of the lap. And that was it. And all of a sudden, I was just, oh man, then I get passed one by one, and then all of a sudden, I'm in the lead again. Oh, yeah, because the guys are coming up from behind me, and it, they're lapping me, and, you know, at that point, I'm thinking, I just want to quit. I just want, man, can I just stop and I'll just cross, just kind of disappear across the field and then no one will ever know the difference. I'll just, but I thought, no, I mean, they need the points, they need the points. So, so I, man, I'm running, I'm running and I finally get towards the finish line and I see that they, they got the next runners lined up ready to go at the finish line. I think, excuse me, I'm coming through here. Hey, and I finished. But, but you see, I had to follow the rules. Had to follow, as much as I wanted to quit, as much as I wanted to, to, to stop, I needed to follow the rules. In the same way in the Christian life. It's not so much, in, you know, it's important for us not, not to be misled by the ideas. The Christian life isn't following this, this certain set of rules. It's living in that daily submission to the Lord. I think some people want it that simply. Oh, I'll just follow these ten rules and, and you'll be okay. No, it requires a, a relationship. It requires that communication we talked about. Here's a big difference. The Christian faith is the only faith where you have a personal trainer 24-7. Every single moment of your day. Colossians 1.27 tells us that Christ in you is your hope of glory. That's a big difference. You have a personal trainer who is always with you. Man, wouldn't that be great? You know, in the athletic world. Oh man, get up, let's get going. I mean here, but the Lord is. There's no other religion in the world that makes available a personal trainer who is always with you. Listen, Jesus isn't by your side. He are on your side. He's in your side. He's in your inside. He's in the heart by in your heart by His Holy Spirit, constantly speaking to your heart, to your mind, to your spirit. And our guidebook is the Bible. It instructs us and instructs us of every area in our lives, constantly bringing us understanding and conviction concerning His Word and what it says and and how we need to live this life. We have that. We're blessed. But man, if you're into Islam, your God is Allah who requires appeasement through the five articles of faith and practicing the five pillars of faith. Allah doesn't live on the inside. If you're Hindu, your God is Rama, the ultimate reality, but man can only get to him after going through this, this uh, progressive cycling of dying and, and being reincarnated over and over again. Buddhist, uh, man, there's no real personal God. The ultimate objective is, in Buddhism is just to be free from suffering. You achieve that through one's own self-discipline. Scientologist, your God is not really a personal God, but rather a, an impersonal force, a realm of spirituality you might be able to attain one day if you practice Scientology faithfully and correctly pay the certain amount of money that you need to pay more and more in order to reach where you need to be. Christianity is uniquely different because the author died and rose again, and now he lives inside his followers. He's our personal trainer who personally teaches us and empowers us and guides us each step that we take. That really is the beauty of the Christian life. And listen, in the same way that the, the athlete needs to listen to his trainer to do the exercises he gives you so that he get in the best shape you can possibly be in, the same way we need to listen to our trainer. Let me tell you, the Christian life is all about learning to respond to and be led by the Holy Spirit, following through, again, not giving up. Not allowing yourself to be tripped up. Paul, in using the race analogy again in Philippians 3.13, says, Dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved, but I focus on this one thing. Forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead, 
I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. When he talks about, about looking forward, pressing forward, it literally means stretching as in a race. It's stretching for the finish line, putting yourself out there like that, stretching towards a prize. But listen, if you're always looking behind you, always looking into your past, you're going to get tripped up. You're going to get you're going to have problems. Just like being a soldier in God's army, we have the, the same opponents. We, 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 we're racing against our fleshly old self, against the world and against the devil. And if we're always looking back at the times that we failed, the times that we tripped up, the things we did in our old lives and not looking forward, we're just going to trip up again. That's why we need to keep our eyes focused on the prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. But in order to do that, it takes training and it takes discipline. An athlete that's going to be successful, he or she has to learn to discipline his flesh, to put it into subjection. Someone has defined a football game as an event in which thousands of people who need exercise pay for the privilege of cheering for 22 healthy men who need no exercise. I think most of us would rather watch someone else work out for us while we get the results. It's too bad it doesn't work that way. But you see, whatever the sport, there's so much training that goes into it if you want to be successful. The same is true spiritually. Warren Wiersbe once said, if Christians were putting into their spiritual walk the kind of discipline that athletes put into into their chosen sport, the church would be pulsating with revival life. The same tedious discipline that is involved in working out is needed in spiritual training. Scott Hamilton, you recognize him, the Olympic skater, shortly after winning his gold medal, he said this, Someone asked me why I was looking at the medal so intently. What I was doing was looking at 16 years of my life. Listen, there's no cutting quarters, you know. It takes hard work. It takes discipline. Uh, But the reward is worth it. Got to follow the rules. I I read an Associated Press headline that I thought was interesting. He said, Mara... Uh, marathoner loses by a mustache. Here's the story. It happened in Brussels, Belgium at the Brussels Marathon. It appeared that Abis Tahami of Algeria was an easy winner until someone wondered where his mustache had gone. Checking eyewitness accounts and video replay, Tahami had started the race with a mustache and finished it without one. It quickly became evident that the mustache belonged to Tahami's coach, Ben Salim Hamiani. Hamiani had run the first seven and a half miles of the race for Tahami, then disappeared into the woods to pass his race number on to his pupil. They looked about the same race the organizer said only one had a mustache. Listen, there's no cutting corners. There's no shortcuts. You can't get someone to run the race for you. If anyone competes in athletics, he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It's a daily run, listening to your coach, following his instructions. This brings us to our third and final point in the third picture, we've seen a soldier, we've seen an athlete, and now we can stay strong in the grace that God has given us by number three, being a good farmer. Good farmer. Look at verse six. The hardworking farmer must be first to partake of the crops. Now, the idea of a farmer is he's a hard worker. I mean, he labors. You know, a soldier faces hardships. The athlete must keep the rules. And then the farmer, he works hard. Now, years ago, my wife and I decided we were going to plant a garden. That was many, many years ago, the last time we tried it. But, you know, we tilled the ground and we planted the seed and watered it and watched all the weeds grow up in the midst of the garden. And then we watched the, the two 
plants that we planted, seeds that we planted, the watermelon and zucchini take over the garden. I mean, what can you do with zucchini the size of watermelon? I, I don't know, but that's what it was. It was huge. It was a lot of work. And you go in and you pull all the weeds out, and then you had to prepare the soil and get all the rocks out and, and put all the nutrients in the soil. And then you till and you plant and you wait and you wait and you wait. And then when it's all said and done, you can go to the grocery store and buy it for about $2, you know, and it all it took me months to grow. Now, let me say this. I don't like it, but there's many of you guys here that you absolutely love it. I'm not knocking it. I'm just saying it's not for me, you know. I mean, you love it, but and I do enjoy when you bring things into the church, and I can take them home and enjoy them. I'm just saying it isn't me. But I also take that a step further. I say I can never be a real farmer because I just don't have the patience for it. I can do it, man, sowing the seed and teaching God's Word. I can be patient, but man, the farming stuff is like, I want it right away. I put the seed in the ground. Okay, now let me see. I want it to grow up, you know. And I, and I I know it, you know, just because of that. But I think this analogy of the farmer describes really what the Christian ministry is like 90% of the time. I mean, it's true, it can feel like a soldier in a battle at times, but even at times, you don't really, you know, not always battling in ministry. There's at times where the battle isn't so intense. And true, you know, there's times when it's like an athlete, especially preparing and working hard for an event or something coming up. But it's always like farming. Always like farming. Now, how is that? Well, let me give you three ways, and, uh, and then we'll close. Number one, a good farmer can't be lazy. A good farmer can't be lazy. It takes hard work. There's no substitute for hard work. It's a lot of work. They get up real early. They milk the cows. They have to feed the pigs, especially the, 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 the milk farmer. They have no rest. I mean, they've got to milk it every single day. And, and you know, I, when I first came out here, I've shared this before, I came out here and, and uh visited one of the elders at the church at the time, and, and he invited me to go across the street. He was going to help his neighbor milk the cows. He needed to milk the cows. And you guys know I'm a city boy. I, I didn't grow up on a farm. I grew up in this city, you know. And, and so I said, I'll go out there. You know, and I had my little polo jacket on, and I had my new Vans tennis shoes on. And, you know, I go walking in, and this is a barn, a cow barn. And, and, and uh, you know, and uh, it was pretty smelly. And the guy said, well, you probably should take your coat off before we walk in this next bar. And I said, why? I mean, is it hot in there? He goes, no, the, the smell will get on your clothes. And, no, 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 I'll, I'll be all right. But I did. I, I mean, I took it off and went in there. And, and I mean, it was, you guys know this. I mean, if you're, if you're cow farmers, I mean, it was pretty disgusting. And they're squirting off the, the mud off the cow's udders. And, 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 I, and I get done and I get, you know, I got mud all over my van shoes. And, and I put my jacket back on and it just reeks. It just it reeks of cow. And, and, and I'm walking back to this house and I'm going... Oh, man, Lord, I mean, if this is what you call me to do, to be out here in the pasture, I mean, I'll do it, Lord, but man, this is, a, you know, and, and, and but, but I recognize, you know what, this is hard work. I think I had to throw away the jacket, but, but even still, but it's hard work. And man, if you're, a, especially a milk cow farmer, I mean, you've got to be there, you know, day in and day out of that stuff. It, it, it's not, not, not glorious. It's not glamorous. But it's something that's needed to be done. You know, they, they plow the field, they, they prepare the soil, they plant the seed, they endure the cold, the heat, the rain, the wind. Whether that soil is hard or loose, you know, it doesn't matter. He doesn't wait until, you know, he feels like it because the seasons aren't going to wait for him. When the time comes to plant, he's got to plant right then and there. When those weeds appear, then they've got to remove them. When the crops mature, crops mature you've got to harvest them. Listen, if you're truly living for Jesus... There's going to be times when ministering is hard. You may not always feel like going over to, to someone's house to help them as they struggle with issues or they're going through problems. 
You may be tirelessly sharing your faith with one whose soil of their life seems like nothing but rock. And you seem like you're just pouring yourself into this person without any results. It could be hard work. But know deep inside that there's fruit. There's fruit that will come from it. So, like a good farmer can't be lazy, a good Christian can't be lazy. Number two, a good farmer must be patient. Think about this. that The soldier often has excitement of the battle. I mean, the adrenaline rushes as they go in. He's pumped up. The athlete, especially the thrill of competing. Man, we're going to go. Now, the farmer, you know, his working hours are tedious, humdrum, unexciting. He doesn't plant the seed and go, all right, come on, let's go, let's go. No, people don't surround him doing that. He has no idea what transpires under the surface of the ground, but he waits and waits, and he trusts that the Lord will bring the fruit to bring the increase. There's so much out of his control. And day by day, even though he doesn't see the results, he gets up and he does it over and over again. Same way, when you wake up tomorrow to face the daily grinding, you think of getting up and how you're going to plant the seeds in soil and how there may be a great harvest. You need to be patient. Be patient. Maybe you're sharing in someone's life and, and you're not seeing any results. Think about how long it took you for, for you to come to the Lord. Just be patient. As you pour into your kids, every day sharing with them God's love and God's word, be patient, knowing, believing that by faith that one day there will be a harvest of their soul. You may not see any evidence happening, you know, but deep in the soul of their hearts, the seed is being planted and continues to be nourished until it's not long before they've grown into the Lord and now they're sowing seeds for themselves. You see, it's making disciples. And you have no idea of the end result, only that you're sowing the seeds, sowing the seeds in your kids' lives, in your neighbors' lives, in your co-workers' lives, in your friends' and family's lives. And it may be hard work, but it's worth it. Be patient. Paul writes in Galatians 6, 9, So let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. So a good farmer can't be lazy. A good farmer must be patient. Finally, number three, a good farmer is always learning. It's always learning the best way to sow the seed, uh, to, to harvest correctly, to best soil the plant in, how to make sure you don't get certain harmful bugs, to ruin your crop. In other words, a good farmer is always learning, always taking information in on how to be a good farmer. Man, if you're a good Christian, man, you want to hear from the Lord. You want to take in from God's Word. In fact, Paul puts it this way. The hardworking farmer must be first to partake of the crops. You know, the great thing about farming is you get the fresh milk. You get the, the, the fresh vegetables, oh, I mean, right off the vine. In the same way, as you dig into God's Word on your own, man, God is speaking to you and, and you study and memorize it. And you're being benefited from it before anybody else does. Because before you can share the things of the Lord, you need to take in the things from the Lord. Taste and see that the Lord is good. See, you're always learning, always looking for God to show you great things about Himself that you'll be able to share with others. Paul knew this uh, himself when giving instruction about communion. He, he wrote this in 1, 1 Corinthians 11.23, For I have received of the Lord that which I also delivered to you. I received it, now I'm sharing this with you. Had a special, something special from the Lord. Before you can give out, you must first take in. Before you can share what God has shown you, you must spend time letting Him show you those things. Be teachable. So a good farmer can't be lazy, must be patient, must always be learning. The bottom line is you get in what you put out of it. We're called to be seed sowers. It's up to God for the results, but the ultimate reward is eternity in heaven. 
and to know that there's going to be people in eternity in heaven with you because you sowed that seed. You shared the word with them. You took the time to plant the truth in that person's life. You watered it. You did some good farming and God brought the increase. I can't wait to have someone walk up to you and say, man, you're here uh, you know, because you shared with me in the heavens. So as we close, we're in a battle. Fight the good fight as a good soldier. Don't get tangled up in this world. Stay in shape as the athlete. Stay disciplined in God's word, obeying God's word and in prayer. And finally, do the work of a farmer. Share the word, plant it, and see what God does with it. And finally, Paul says in in verse 7, Consider what I say, and may the Lord give you understanding in all things. It's interesting, in verse 7, we have the human side and the divine side in, in the understanding of scriptural truth. Consider what I say. Paul says that's the human side. Listen to what I'm saying. But then pray, may the Lord give you understanding. That's the divine side. We exercise our minds by considering, but the Lord gives us that understanding. He opens up our hearts and our eyes to it. We do our part, the Lord will do His. Listen, we desperately need God's help. We need God's grace. We can't do it in and of ourselves. We need outside help. We need the grace of God working in and through our lives. And I pray as we close that we will all be strong in the grace that God has given to us through His Son, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for this time this morning, Lord. We thank You for just the privilege to be called Your own. Lord, that You've enlisted us in Your army, Lord. That You've called us to be athletes and farmers, Lord. What, what, what great professions, Lord. That The things that we could do for You, Lord. And so, Lord, help us to stand strong in your grace and be that good soldier committed to doing what is right. Lord, seeking to please you. That's why we're there. Enduring the hardship in order to please you. Not because of a reward, not because of anything else, only because we want to please you, our God. Lord, help us to be disciplined as an athlete in your word. Taking in, Lord, reading it, applying it to our lives. Exercising ourselves to godliness as we've looked at already. And Lord, help us to be that farmer, sowing the seed of your word, reaching people with the hope of the gospel, Lord, that we might see a bountiful harvest. And finally, Lord, I pray if there's anyone here that is yet to join your army, so to speak, they've yet to surrender their lives to you. Lord, I pray that you would touch their heart, especially this morning, that they would see their need to repent of their sin and turn from it and turn to you this morning and find that grace and salvation and that grace to keep him going in this life. Lord, we thank you for your love and mercy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.